Act Three of As You Like It by William Shakespeare. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Act Three, Scene One A Room in the Palace. Enter Duke Frederick, Lords, and Oliver. Not see him since? Sir, sir, that cannot be. But were I not the better part made mercy, I should not seek an absent argument of my revenge thou present. But look to it. Find out thy brother wheresoever he is, seek him with candle, bring him dead or living within this twelve month, or turn thou no more to seek a living in our territory thy lands and all things that thou dost call thine worth seizure do we seize into our hands till thou canst quit thee by thy brother's mouth of what we think against thee oh that your highness knew my heart in this i never loved my brother in my life more villain thou well push him out of doors and let my officers of such a nature make an extent upon his house and lands do this expediently and turn him going exeunt scene two the forest enter orlando with a paper hang there my verse in witness of my love and thou thrice crowned queen of night survey with thy chaste eye from thy pale sphere above thy huntress name that my full life doth sway o rosalind these trees shall be my books and in their barks my thoughts i'll character that every eye which in this forest looks shall see thy virtue witnessed everywhere run run orlando carve on every tree the fair the chaste and unexpressive she exit enter corin and touchstone and how like you this shepherd's life master touchstone truly shepherd in respect of itself it is a good life but in respect that it is a shepherd's life it is not in respect that it is solitary i like it very well but in respect that it is private it is a very vile life now in respect it is in the fields it pleaseth me but in respect it is not in the court it is tedious as it is a spare life look you it fits my humour well but as there is no more plenty in it it goes much against my stomach has any philosophy in thee shepherd no more but that i know the more one sickens the worse it is he is and that he that wants money means and content is without three good friends that the property of rain is to wet and fire to burn that good pasture makes fat sheep and that a great cause of the night is lack of the sun that he that hath learned no wit by nature nor art may complain of good breeding or comes of a very dull kindred such a one is a natural philosopher was ever in court shepherd no truly then thou art damned nay i hope truly thou art damned like an ill-roasted egg all on one side for not being at court your reason why if thou never wast at court thou never sought good manners if thou never sought good manners then thy manners must be wicked and wickedness is sin and sin is damnation thou art in a parlous state shepherd not a whit touchstone those that are good manners at the court are as ridiculous in the country as the behaviour of the country is most mockable at the court 
you told me you salute not at the court but you kiss your hands that courtesy would be uncleanly if courtiers were shepherds instance briefly come instance why we are still handling our ewes and their fells you know are greasy why do you not courtiers hand sweat and is not the grease of a mutton as wholesome as the sweat of a man shallow shallow a better instance i say come besides our hands are hot your lips will feel them sooner shallow again a more sounder instance come and they are often tarred over with the surgery of our sheep and would you have us kiss tar the gorgeous hands are perfumed with civet most shallow man thou worms meat in respect of a good piece of flesh indeed learn of the wise and perpend civet is of a baser birth than tar the very uncleanly flux of a cat mend the instance shepherd you have to courtly a wit for me i'll rest wilt thou rest damned god help thee shallow man god make incision in thee thou art raw sir i am a true labourer i earn that i eat get that i wear owe no man hate envy no man's happiness glad of other men's good contend with my harm and the greatest of my pride is to see my ewes graze and my lambs suck that is not a simple sin in you to bring the ewes and the rams together and to offer to get your living by the copulation of cattle to be bored to a bell weather and to betray a she-lamb of a twelve-month to a crooked-pated old cuckoldy ram out of all reasonable match if thou beest not damned for this the devil himself will have no shepherd i cannot see else how thou shouldst escape here comes young master ganymede my new mistress's brother enter rosalind with a paper reading from the east to western ind no jewel is like rosalind her worth being mounted on the wind through all the world bears rosalind all the pictures fairest lined are but black to rosa lined let no fair be kept in mind but the fair of rosalind i'll rhyme you so eight years together dinners and suppers and sleeping hours excepted it is the right butterwoman's rank to market out fool for a taste if a heart do lack a hind let him seek out rosalind if the cat will after kind so be sure will rosalind winter garments must be lined so must slender rosalind they that reap must chief and bind then to cart with rosalind sweetest nut has sorest rind such a nut is rosalind he that sweetest rose will find must find love's prick and rosalind this is the very false gollop of verses why do you infect yourself with them peace you dull fool i found them on a tree truly the tree yields bad fruit i'll graph it with you and then i shall graph it with a meddler then it will be the earliest fruit of the country for you'll be rotten ere you be half ripe and that's the right virtue of the meddler you have said but whether wisely or not let the forest judge enter celia with a writing peace here comes my sister reading stand aside celia reads why should this a desert be for it is unpeopled no tongues i'll hang on every tree that shall civil sayings show some how brief the life of man runs his errant pilgrimage that the stretching of a span buckles in his sum of age 
some of violated vows twixt the souls of friend and friend but upon the fairest boughs or at every sentence end will i rosalinda write teaching all that read to know the quintessence of every sprite heaven would in little show therefore heaven nature charged that one body should be filled with all the graces wide and large nature presently distilled helen's cheek but not her heart cleopatra's majesty atalanta's better part sad lucretia's modesty thus rosalind of many parts by heavenly synod was devised of many faces eyes and hearts to have the touches dearest prized heaven would that she these gifts should have and i to live and die her slave ah oh, most gentle pulpiter what tedious homily of love have you wearied your parishioners withal and never cried have patience good people how now back friends shepherd go off a little go with him sirrah come shepherd let us make an honourable retreat though not with bag and baggage yet with script and scrippage exeunt coron and touchstone didst thou hear these verses oh yes i heard them all and more too for some of them had in them more feet than the verses would bear well, that's no matter the feet might bear the verses ay but the feet were lame and could not bear themselves without the verse and therefore stood lamely in the verse but didst thou hear without wondering how thy name should be hanged and carved upon these trees i was seven of the nine days out of the wonder before you came for look here what i found on a palm-tree i was never so berhymed since pythagoras's time that i was an irish rat which i can hardly remember show you who hath done this is it a man and a chain that once you wore about his neck change you colour i prithee who oh lord lord it is a hard matter for friends to meet but mountains may be removed with earthquakes and so encounter nay but who is it is it possible nay i prithee now with most petitionary vehemence tell me who it is oh wonderful wonderful and most wonderful wonderful and yet again wonderful and after that out of all whooping oh good my complexion dost thou think though i am comparison like a man i have a doublet and hose in my disposition one inch of delay more is a south sea of discovery i prithee tell me who is it quickly and speak apace i would thou couldst stammer that i might pour this concealed man out of thy mouth as wine comes out of a narrow-mouthed bottle either too much at once or none at all i prithee take the cork out of thy mouth that i may drink thy tidings so you may put a man in your belly is he of god's making what manner of man is his head worth a hat or his chin worth a beard nay he hath but a little beard my god will send more if the man will be thankful let me stay the growth of his beard if thou delay me not the knowledge of his chin it is the young orlando that trips up the wrestler's heels and your heart both in an instant nay but the devil take mocking speak sad brow and true maid in faith cos tis he orlando orlando oh alas the day what shall i do with my doublet and hose what did he when thou sawest him what said he how looked he wherein went he what makes him here did he ask for me where remains he how parted he with thee and when shalt thou see him again answer me in one word you must borrow me gargantuous mouth first tis a word too great for any mouth of this age's size to say i and no to these particulars is more than to answer in a catechism but doth he know i am in this forest and in man's apparel looks he as freshly as he did the day he wrestled it is as easy to count a tommy's as to resolve the propositions of a lover 
but take a taste of my finding him and relish it with good observance i found him under a tree like a dropped acorn oh it may well be called jove's tree when it drops forth such fruit give me audience good madam proceed there he lay stretched along like a wounded knight mm, though it be pity to see such a sight it well becomes the ground try holla to thy tongue i prithee it curvets unreasonably he was furnished like a hunter oh ominous he comes to kill my heart i would sing my song without a burden thou bringst me out of tune <laughs> do you not know i am a woman when i think i must speak sweet say on you bring me out soft comes he not here enter orlando and jacques tis he slink by and note him i thank you for your company but good faith i had as lief be myself alone and so had i but yet for fashion's sake i thank you too for your society god be with you let's meet as little as we can i do desire we may be better strangers i pray you mar no more trees with writing love songs in their barks i pray you mar no more of my verses with reading them ill-favouredly rosalind is your love's name yes just i do not like her name there was no thought of pleasing you when she was christened what stature is she of just as high as my heart you are full of pretty answers have you not been acquainted with goldsmith's wives and conned them out of rings not so but i answer you right painted cloth from whence you have studied your questions you have a nimble wit i think twas made of atalanta's heels will you sit down with me and we two will rail against our mistress the world and all our misery i will chide no breather in the world but myself against whom i know most faults the worst fault you have is to be in love tis a fault i will not change for your best virtue i am weary of you by my troth i was seeking for a fool when i found you he is drowned in the brook look but in and you shall see him there i shall see my own figure which i take to be either a fool or a cipher i'll tarry no longer with you farewell good signor love i am glad of your departure adieu good monsieur melancholy exit jacques rosalind aside to celia i will speak to him like a saucy lackey and under that habit play the knave with him <clears throat> do you hear forester very well what would you i pray you what is to clock you should ask me what time of day there's no clock in the forest then there is no true lover in the forest else sighing every minute and groaning every hour would detect the lazy foot of time as well as a clock and why not the swift foot of time had not that been as proper by no means sir time travels in divers paces with divers persons i'll tell you who time ambles withal who time trots withal who time gallops withal and who he stands still withal i prithee who doth he trot withal marry he trots hard with a young maid between the contract of her marriage and the day it is solemnized if the interim be but a sen-night time's pace is so hard that it seems the length of seven year who ambles time withal with a priest that lacks latin and a rich man that hath not the gout for the one sleeps easily because he cannot study and the other lives merrily because he feels no pain the one lacking the burden of lean and wasteful learning the other knowing no burden of heavy tedious penury these time ambles withal who doth he gallop withal with a thief to the gallows for though he go as softly as foot can fall he thinks himself too soon there 
Who stays it still withal? With lawyers in the vacation, for they sleep between term and term, and then they perceive not how time moves. Where dwell you, pretty youth? With the shepherdess, my sister, here in the skirts of the forest, like fringe upon a petticoat. <clears throat> Are you native of this place? As the coney that you see dwell where she is kindled. Your accent is something finer than you could purchase in so removed a dwelling. I have been told so of many. But, indeed, an old religious uncle of mine taught me to speak, who was in his youth an inland man, one that knew courtship too well, for there he fell in love. I have heard him read many lectures against it. And I thank God I am not a woman, to be touched with so many giddy offences as he hath generally taxed their whole sex withal. Can you remember any of the principal evils that he laid to the charge of women? There were none principal. They were all like one another as halfpence are every one fault seeming monstrous, till his fellow-fault came to match it. I prithee, recount some of them. No, I will not cast away my physic but on those that are sick. There is a man haunts the forest that abuses our young plants with carving Rosalind on their barks, hangs odes upon hawthorns and elegies on brambles, all forsooth deifying the name of Rosalind. If I could meet that fancy-monger I would give him some good counsel for he seems to have the quotidian of love upon him. I am he that is so love-shaked. I pray you, tell me your remedy. There is none of my uncle's marks upon you. He taught me how to know a man in love, in which cage of rushes I am sure you are not a prisoner. What were his marks? A lean cheek, which you have not, a blue eye and sunken, which you have not, an unquestionable spirit, which you have not, a beard neglected, which you have not. But I pardon you for that, for simply your having in beard is a younger brother's revenue. Then your hose should be ungartered, your bonnet unbanded, your sleeve unbuttoned, your shoe untied, and everything about you demonstrating a careless desolation. But you are no such man. You are rather point device in your accoutrements, as loving yourself than seeming the lover of any other. Fair youth, I would I could make thee believe I love. Me believe it. You may as soon make her that you love believe it, which I warrant she is apter to do than to confess she does. That is one of the points in the which women still give the lie to their consciences. But, in good sooth, are you he that hangs the verses on the trees wherein Rosalind is so admired? I swear to thee, youth, by the white hand of Rosalind, I am that he, that unfortunate he. Are you so much in love as your rhymes speak? Neither rhyme nor reason can express how much. Love is merely a madness, and I tell you deserves as well a dark house and a whip as madmen do. And the reason why they are not so punished and cured is that the lunacy is so ordinary that the whippers are in love too. Yet I profess curing it by counsel. Did you ever cure any so? Yes. One and in this manner. He was to imagine me his love, his mistress, and I set him every day to woo me. At which time would I, being but a moonish youth, grieve, be effeminate, changeable, longing and liking, proud, fantastical, apish, shallow, inconstant, full of tears, full of smiles, for every passion something, and for no passion truly anything, as boys and women are for the most part cattle of this colour, would now like him, now loathe him, 
then entertain him, then forswear him, now weep for him, then spit at him. That I drave my suitor from his mad humour of love to a living humour of madness, which was to forswear the full stream of the world, and to live in a nook merely monastic. And thus I cured him. And this way will I take upon me to wash your liver as clean as a sound sheep's heart, that there not be one spot of love in it. I would not be cured, youth. I could cure you, if you would but call me Rosalind, and come every day to my coat and woo me. Now, by the faith of my love, I will. Tell me where it is. Go with me to it, and I'll show it you. And by the way, you shall tell me where in the forest you live. Will you go? With all my heart, good youth. Nay, you must call me Rosalind. Come, sister, will you go? Exeunt. Scene three. The Forest. Enter Touchstone and Audrey. Jacques behind. Come apace, good Audrey. I will fetch up your goats, Audrey. And how, Audrey, am I the man yet? Doth my simple feature content you? Your features? Lord, warrant us what features? I am here with thee and thy goats, as the most capricious poet, honest Ovid, was among the gods. Jacques, aside. O oh, knowledge ill-inhabited, worse than Jove in a thatched house! When a man's verses cannot be understood, nor a man's good wit seconded with a forward child understanding, it strikes a man more dead than a great reckoning in a little room. Truly, I would the gods had made thee poetical. I do not know what poetical is. Is it honest indeed and word? Is it a true thing? No, truly, for the truest poet is the most feigning, and lovers are given to poetry. And what they swear in poetry may be said as lovers they do feign. Do you wish, then, that the gods had made me poetical? I do truly, for thou swearest to me thou art honest. Now, if thou wert a poet, I might have some hope thou didst feign. Would you not have me honest? No, truly, unless thou wert hard-favoured, for honesty coupled to beauty is to have honey as sauce to sugar. Jacques, aside. A material fool. Well, I am not fair, and therefore I pray the gods make me honest. Truly, and to cast away honesty upon a foul slut, were to put good meat into an unclean dish. I am not a slut, though I think the gods I am foul. Well, praised be the gods for thou foulness. Sluttishness may come hereafter, but be it as it may be, I will marry thee. And to that end I have been with Sir Oliver Martex, the vicar of the next village, who hath promised to meet me in this place of the forest, and to couple us. Jacques, aside. I would fain see this meeting. Will the gods give us joy? Amen. A man may, if he were of a fearful heart, stagger in this attempt. For here we have no temple but the wood, no assembly but horn-beasts. But what though? Courage! As horns are odious, they are necessary. It is said, many a man knows no end of his goods. Right, many a man has good horns, and knows no end of them. Well, that is the dowry of his wife. Tis none of his own getting. Horns? Even so, poor men alone. No, no, the noblest there hath them as huge as the rascal. Is the single man therefore blessed? No, as a walled town is more worthier than a village, 
so is the forehead of a married man more honourable than the bare brow of a bachelor. And by how much defence is better than no skill, by so much is a horn more precious than to want. Here comes Sir Oliver. Enter Sir Oliver Martex. Sir Oliver Martex, you are well met. Will you dispatch us here under this tree, or shall we go with you to your chapel? Is there no near to give the woman? I will not take her on a gift of any man. Truly she must be given, or the marriage is not lawful. Jacquees, advancing. Proceed, proceed, I'll give her. Good even, good master, what ye call it. How do you, sir? We are very well. God ill you for your last company. I am very glad to see you. Even a toy in hand here, sir. Nay, pray be covered. Will you be married, Motley? As the ox hath his bow, sir, the horse his curb, and the falcon her bells, so man hath his desires, and as pigeons bill, so wedlocked would be nibbling. And will you, being a man of your breeding, be married under a bush like a beggar? Get you to church, and have a good priest that can tell you what marriage is. This fellow will but join you together as they join wainscot. Then one of you will prove a shrunk panel, and like green timber warp, warp. Touchstone, aside. I am not in a mind, but I were better to be married of him than of another, for he is not like to marry me well, and not being well married, it will be a good excuse for me hereafter to leave my wife. Go thou with me, and let me counsel thee. Come, sweet Audrey, we must be married, or we must live in bawdry. Farewell, good master Oliver, not. O sweet Oliver, O brave Oliver, leave me not behind thee, but find a way. Be gone, I say, I will not to wedding with thee. Exeunt, Jacquees, Touchstone, and Audrey. Tis no matter. Ne'er a fantastical knave of them all shall flout me out of my calling. Exit. Scene four, The Forest. Enter Rosalind and Celia. Never talk to me, I will weep. Do, I prithee, but yet have the grace to consider that tears do not become a man. But have I not cause to weep? As good cause as one would desire, therefore weep. His very hair is of the dissembling colour. Something browner than Judas's, Mary. His kisses are Judas's own children. Fate, his hair is of a good colour. An excellent colour. Your chestnut was ever the only colour. And his kissing is as full of sanctity as the touch of holy bread. He hath bought a pair of cast lips of Diana. A nun of winter's sisterhood kisses not more religiously. The very ice of chastity is in them. But why did he swear he would come this morning and comes not? Nay, certainly, there is no truth in him. Do you think so? Yes, I think he is not a pick-purse nor a horse-stealer, but for his verity in love I do think him as concave as a covered goblet or a worm-eaten nut. Not true in love? Yes, when he is in, but I think he is not in. You have heard him swear downright he was. Was is not is. Besides, the oath of a lover is no stronger than the word of a tapster. They are both a confirmer of false reckonings. He attends here in the forest on the duke your father. I met the duke yesterday, and had much question with him. He asked me of what parentage I was. I told him of as good as he. So he laughed and let me go. But what talk we of fathers, when there is such a man as Orlando? Oh, that's a brave man. He writes brave verses, speaks brave words, swears brave oaths, and breaks them bravely, quite perverse, athwart the heart of his lover. As a personny tilter that spurs his horse but on one side, breaks his staff like a noble goose, but all's brave that youth mounts into folly guides. Who comes here? 
Enter Corin. Mistress and master, you have oft inquired after the shepherd that complained of love, who you saw sitting by me on the turf, praising the proud disdainful shepherdess that was his mistress. Well, and what of him? If you will see a pageant truly played, between the pale complexion of true love and the red glow of scorn and proud disdain, go hence a little, and I shall conduct you, if you will mark it. Oh, come, let us remove. The sight of lovers feedeth those in love. Bring us to this sight, and you shall say I'll prove a busy actor in their play. Exeunt. Scene five. Another part of the forest. Enter Silvius and Phoebe. Sweet Phoebe, do not scorn me. Do not, Phoebe. Say that you love me not, but do not say so in bitterness. The common executioner, whose heart the accustomed sight of death makes hard, falls not an axe upon a humble neck, but first begs pardon. Will you be sterner than he that dies and lives by bloody drops? Enter Rosalind, Celia, and Corin behind. I would not be thy executioner. I fly thee, for I would not injure thee. Thou tell'st me there is murder in mine eye. Tis pretty sure and very probable that eyes that are the frailest and softest things, who shut their cowed gates on atomies, should be called tyrants, butchers, murderers. Now I do frown on thee with all my heart, and if mine eyes can wound, now let them kill thee. Now counterfeit to swoon, why now fall down? Or if thou canst not, oh for shame, for shame, lie not to say mine eyes are murderers. Now show the wound mine eye hath made in thee, Scratch thee but with a pin, and there remains some scar of it, lean but upon a rush. The secretrice incapable in pressure, thy palm some moment keeps, but now mine eyes, which I have darted at thee, hurt thee not, nor I am sure there is no force in eyes that can do hurt. O oh dear Phoebe, if ever, as that ever may be near, you meet in some fresh cheek the power of fancy, then you shall know the wounds invisible that love's keen arrow make. But till that time come not thou near me, and when that time comes, afflict me with thy mocks, pity me not, as till that time I shall not pity thee. And why, I pray you? Who might be your mother, that you insult, exult, and all at once over the wretched? What though you have no beauty, as by my faith I see no more in you than without candle may go dark to bed. Must you be therefore proud and pitiless? Why, what means this? Why do you look on me? I see no more in you than the ordinary of nature's sail-work. Aunt's my little life, I think she means to tangle my eyes too. No, faith, proud mistress, hope not after it. Tis not your inky brows, your black silk hair, your bugle eyeballs, nor your cheek of cream that can entame my spirits to your worship. You foolish shepherd! Wherefore do you follow her, like foggy south puffing with wind and rain? You are a thousand times a properer man than she a woman. Tis such fools as you that makes the world full of ill-favoured children. "'Tis not her glass, but you that flatters her, "'and out of you she sees herself more proper "'than any of her lineaments can show her. "'But, mistress, know yourself. "'Down on your knees, and thank heaven fasting for a good man's love. "'For I must tell you friendly, in your ear, "'sell when you can, you are not for all markets. "'Cry the man mercy, love him, take his offer.' 
Foul is most foul, being foul to be a scoffer. So take her to thee, shepherd. Fare ye well. Sweet youth, I pray you, chide a year together. I had rather hear you chide than this man woo. <sighs> He's fallen in love with your foulness, and she'll fall in love with my anger. If it be so, as fast as she answers thee with frowning looks, I'll sauce her with bitter words. Why look you so upon me? For no ill will I bear you. I pray you, do not fall in love with me, for I am falser than vows made in wine. Besides, I like you not. If you will know my house, tis at the tuft of olives here hard by. Will you go, sister? Shepherd, ply her hard. Come, sister. Shepherdess, look on him better, and be not proud. Though all the world could see, none could be so abused in sight as he. Come to our flock. Exeunt Rosalind, Celia, and Corin. Dead shepherd, now I find thy sore of might, Who ever loved that loved not at first sight. Sweet Phoebe. Ha! What sayest thou, Silvius? Sweet Phoebe, pity me. Why, I am sorry for thee, gentle Silvius. Wherever sorrow is, relief would be. If you do sorrow in my grief and love, By giving love your sorrow and my grief were both extermined. Thou hast, my love, is not that neighbourly? I would have you. Why, that's for covetousness. Silvius, the time was that I hated thee, And yet it is not that I bear thee love, But since that thou canst talk of love so well, Thy company, which erst was irksome to me, I will endure, and I'll employ thee too. But do not look for further recompense Than thine own gladness that thou art employed. So holy and so perfect is my love, And I in such a poverty of grace, That I shall think it the most plenteous crop To clean the broken ears after the man that the harvest reaps, Loose now and then a scattered smile, And that I'll live upon. Knowst now the youth that spoke to me erewhile? Not very well, but I have met him off. And he hath bought the cottage and the bounds that the old carlet wants as master of. Think not I love him, though I ask for him. Tis but a peevish boy, yet he talks well. But what a care I for words, yet words do well. When he that speaks them pleases those that hear. It is a pretty youth, not very pretty, but sure he's proud, and yet his pride becomes him. He'll make a proper man. The best thing in him is his complexion, and faster than his tongue did make offence his eye did heal it up. He is not very tall, yet for his years he's tall. His leg is but so-so, and yet tis well. There was a pretty redness in his lip, a little riper and more lusty red than that mixed in his cheeks. Twas just the difference between the constant red and mingled damask. There be some women, Silvius, had they marked him in parcels as I did, would have gone near to fall in love with him, but for my part I love him not, nor hate him not, and yet I have more cause to hate him than to love him. For what had he to do to chide at me? He said mine eyes were black and my hair black. And now I am remembered, scorned at me. I marvel why I answered not again. But that's all one, admittance is no quittance. I'll write to him a very taunting letter, and thou shalt bear it. Wilt thou, Silvius? Phoebe, with all my heart. I'll write it straight. The matter's in my head and in my heart. I will be bitter with him, and passing short. Go with me, Silvius. Exeunt. End of Act Three.